0: Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit with your classy and sophisticated hosts Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing The Emperor's Soul by Brandon Sanderson and Geometries of Belonging by R.B. Lemberg.
1: And welcome to episode 39, The Serpent School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. (laughs) I'm Alex, and I'm the godfuckery sort of magic. The sort of magic that comes from a fucky god.
0: (laughs) I'm Freya, and I am Sufficiently Advanced Technology. I'm Macy, and I am Tree and Plant Magic. We are three redheaded fantasy authors
1: and today we are talking about magic systems we will be in fact building a magic system right in front of your eyes dear listeners magically and stage magicians will not be a part of this whatsoever pure witchcraft pure witchcraft today Um, this is very exciting uh, I can't wait to get into this uh, but before we do uh, what are we reading fellow serpents?
2: Well, this week, a friend of the podcast, Emily Tesh, had her debut novella come out. This Yay! is the one called Silver in the Wood. It is
0: And it is full of all sorts of plant fuckery.
2: So much plant fuckery and green <laughs> men having quiet emotions but being very funny about it. And <laughs> what happens when your mother-in-law and your horrible ex both invade your life in the same week and sort of mythology <laughs> but make it gay. I love this novella to <laughs> All bits. All the good stuff. All the good stuff. All the good things. I want to
0: say this was the novella was like the reason that I ever saw um, because you told me to go read this.
2: Yes, this that's true. This is something that I discovered <laughs> and shoved it at Macy and said, there's plant shit in this. You'll like it. <laughs> and you were not wrong. Indeed. Uh, also, I have been lucky enough to be reading the second book in Jen Lyons's Chorus of Dragons series. Mm. Um, I had an arc of the second book called The Name of All Things, which I enjoyed thoroughly. I thought the first one was really good, but the second one I've enjoyed even more. And I am actually sneakily midway through reading the third one at the moment as well, because <laughs> I'm nice. helping Jen with some of her arcs and footnotes and things. And the other thing that I read in the last week is a graphic novel called Cronin. It's actually Hmm. volume one of two by Alison Wilgus. And this is, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's sort of got some of the Connie Willis Oxford time travel Hmm. things about it. It is about a university student called Mirai Yoshida who finds herself stuck in Japan, 1864, and she disguises herself as a samurai.
1: (gasps) Cool. It has a lot of stuff to do with like
2: time problems and knowing the future and also attempting to disguise yourself when all you did was some very specific research about this very specific town that you're going to and someone's like I'm going to hire you as my bodyguard, let's leave town and you're like, oh shit it's really really fun i i definitely recommend it
1: and you've been uh beta reading macy's book as well right
2: oh yes i'm midway through macy's <laughs> book catalyst and i have been leading lots and lots of comments about how it is delightful and gay and gay and delightful which it is it's
1: it's delightful gay. and gay yep it's quite i would gay. i can i concur yep
0: <laughs> lots and lots of disaster lesbians so good one of them's a disaster bisexual she is she is.
2: We, but we, she, she's surrounded batsmen. by other disaster queers, which is the yeah, great everyone. way to populate a book.
0: I, I've realized that my, my motto for this work is now, um, fake marriage is high fantasy's answer to U-hauling. Mm, it's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, it's true. There's no lie in that. Anyway. Do you want to explain what U-hauling is for the benefit of <laughs> listeners who
1: might not know what U-hauling is?
0: U-hauling is um, the concept of... Um, the stereotype of lesbians basically moving in together on the second date.
1: Right. Yeah. I think it's based on the joke, what yeah. does a lesbian bring to a second date? A U-Haul truck, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So yeah. what have you
0: been reading? <laughs> <laughs> not, not U-Hauling novels. Uh, I bet that's a sub-genre in romance, though. Yeah. Um, however, I have been really busy the past week because I went on an adventure And uh, if you follow me on Twitter, darling listeners, you may have seen some of the pictures because I took a train.
1: Ooh, it was really
0: cool. It was super cool. It was 43 hours of a train in my own little cabin through the mountains. That's so
1: much train. (laughs) So much train. That's so much
0: train (laughs) and I'm so jealous. I love trains. (laughs) Um, And while I was on the train, I read Arkady Martin's A Memory Called Empire, which is a real gay space empire uh political thriller thing full of high emperors and disaster lesbians and poetry battles Mm. i keep wanting it to
2: leap my tbr pile but i'm in this battle with my tbr pile (laughs) where i'm allowing it to proceed in order except for library holds but i really (laughs) really want to read memory called empire it's just going to take me a while to get around to
0: (laughs) that is entirely fair and I was on the train because I was going to 4th Street Fantasy Convention, which ate up the rest of my last week. And there were tons of interesting conversations and I ran a panel and I didn't even fall off the stage. We're so proud of you. <laughs> I was a picture of elegance and grace. And Hell that's yeah, why I've never. only read one book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's OK, because uh, I'm you to all up- the books for me. I I read all the books for you, Um, dear listeners, you may think that your TBR pile will get away with Macy only (laughs) having read one book. Your TBR pile will not. Um, So it's been, what, three weeks, four weeks since we, three weeks since we recorded an episode, and dear listeners, it has been Good Omens all the way fucking down. So the last episode, (laughs) you heard me say that I had watched Good Omens for a first time in that the time since we recorded that episode, I have re- watched Good Omens a second time, a third time, a fourth time. I have started rereading the book for the first time in 10 years. I have made two fan vids to the songs Bohemian Rhapsody and the Pentatonics version of Hallelujah. Uh, I am very much enjoying the new wave of Good Omens fan works. And I want to give a particular shout out to the fan fiction, Vintage Demon Art, Vape Pens and Other Treasures by Um, The Don't Stop Me Now and best, My Best Friend fan vids on YouTube and a non-fiction academic essay on AO3 entitled Making an Effort, colon, Queer Trans Masculinity in the Ethereal and Occult Beings of Good Omens by Elegant Idler and Iris Bluefick.
2: Listeners, I wish I could describe to you what has been happening as Alex has been talking.
1: Macy has collapsed on her desk and is, this is this giggling. There's this particular
2: shade of pink that is peeking out between Macy's fingers, and now she has gone... Fluorescently pink, it is
1: beautiful. (laughs) Because, one more thing dear listeners, because I had not seen enough of David Tennant in a series of Ridiculous Sunglasses, I also watched on YouTube David Tennant and Catherine Tate's uh, performance of Much Ado About Nothing. Which is fucking amazing. (laughs) Which is fucking amazing and also involves David Tennant wearing a series of ridiculous sunglasses. That is all. I need
0: to find a a tissue now to wipe my eyes.
1: Uh, That is everything I have read (laughs) or consumed in the last three weeks.
0: (laughs) Darling listeners, if you would like more examples of David Tennant in sunglasses cosplay, you can sign up at the snack tier of our Patreon for a very special
1: upcoming guest. I have I have drawn this month this month's Jeremy. He is in cosplay as his personal hero. <laughs> and one of his favorite snakes of literature. Yeah. Alex is the snake we wish to see in the yeah. world. Alex's <laughs> descent into
2: Good Omen's fandom has really not been sauntering casually downward. It has been a fucking no. fall head first.
1: Yep. Arms yeah. outstretched. Yeah, um- it's like it's like the incident that we had last year where I was like suplexed yes, through the coffee table into Dragon Age Inquisition fandom, yes, it really except is. like condensed from six weeks yep. into three weeks. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
0: Um, darling listeners, this week we have delegated all of our grace and poise to Freya. There is none left. Indeed. <laughs> it's it's gone. It's gone.
1: On that note, shall we have a fucking <laughs> on episode? That note, we have some news. Oh, we do that have note some of Freya's news. As
0: grace and elegance. That's
2: true. Oh yes. Ooh. Uh, I have a short story which has finally come out. I sold it to Analog last <gasps> year, and it has been published in the July-August issue of Analog. This is my short story called What We Named the Needle. It is a science fiction retelling of a Baba Yaga fairy tale, and it's about memory and the definitions of words and, and what happens when a sentient spaceship rescues a girl in a floating pod and then has to hide her from the woman who owns the space station. It's fun! Cool. Cool. S- all right, episode time. Let's go. Now we shall. Just now down. we shall have a
1: fucking episode. So I
2: think Jeez. it will come as no surprise that we are beginning with some taxonomies. Macy, would you like to start us off? Shocker.
0: For this portion of the episode, I will be played by the gentleman in the long trench coat full of watches. Okay.
1: Cool. Fantastic. Right. Love it. Love it. Would love you, it. Love
0: it. Love it. Love it. Would love you? It. Would you like some taxonomies? <laughs> I am so deeply into this image of you.
1: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Please go ahead. <laughs>
0: all right, so this episode... It's going to be a giggly episode, I think. <laughs> there we go. I had to re- I had to get revenge on Alex somehow for the earlier yep. Um We are going to be talking all about magic systems. And if there was ever anything in the history of anything other than character archetypes that fantasy writers like to categorize mm-hmm. and taxonomize, it's magic systems. There are so many... Generally, like, you are this or that. Yeah, that's it's kind of means, a binary. Lots of, like, A, B. Yeah. yeah. So one of the most common ones is hard versus soft magic, which I don't love mm-hmm. as a framing, but people generally use hard to mean kind of scientific and soft to mean... Numinous. Uh, yeah, well, that's the one I prefer because oh. I can't take hard versus soft seriously yep. now that we're on a podcast with quite this many penis jokes. Sure. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Sure. Yeah. <laughs> because I think if you frame it that way, then soft magic is just ineffective.
1: <sighs> it won't take you where you need to go. I thought Freya. It won't, I thought, it won't wait, get wait. you where you need to be. Freya. I thought that we delegated all of the grace and dignity to I you. Excuse this me, week. I said
2: that with a lot of dignity. I, I believe there
0: was a lot of poise. There was a lot of but poise I don't behind think there that. There was dick any joke.
1: grace? There was no grace. We're so good at podcasting. <laughs> We we're making the
0: fuck out of this podcast. Anyway. Let's all just say the word numinous again. Yes, numinous. Uh, that's the one that I much prefer for this um this type of categorizing magic system is what Alex called numinous versus scientific. And Alex, would you, as you have so kindly volunteered to do, like to define the term numinous? <laughs> it's
1: like you know, it's kinda just like like, you know, like, ineffable? you know, it it is ineffable, actually. <laughs> that is actually a great way to do it. I was doing a whole thing where numinous is sort of like this weird thing that you can't really explain by like demonstrating that you can't really explain it. I was being fucking literary there. But no, you I... just nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. It yeah. is actually ineffable. Thank you, Macy, for volunteering me.
0: <laughs> so uh, numinous magic, a lot of the times when we're talking about it, means the type of magic that you can't pin down. Right? It's Alex's yeah. fucking gods. Or,
1: um... Mm. Gandalf I think is often a a popular example Mm. of numinous magic because you don't really know also side note dear listeners I'm so sorry someone is like putting off fireworks outside my house and it is appearing on the waveform so I don't know if I'm going to be able to like remove those sounds. I was
0: wondering (laughs) if you were like pulling faces at the cat or at like the environment
1: no it was the environment um so if you can hear things in the background it's just someone being annoying with fireworks the world is Um, sometimes uh, (laughs) anyway so gandalf numinous yes because you don't really see him doing like magic magic but you know he is magical and his magic kind of exists on like a different level than the rest of the world
0: right Yeah. And so that's one kind of dimension of breaking apart the world is like, how does the magic actually physically work? Does it have physics to it? A different one that Holly Black um, likes to talk about that she taught once at a class I took with her is night logic versus day logic. Mm. Which is kind of a similar way to phrase the same thing, but it's a little bit it gives you a bit more of a taste of like night logic is like fairy tale logic. It's more driven by emotion. It might not work the same way every time. Whereas day logic is very bright and clear and scientific. And then that, so that's kind of very similar to scientific versus numinous. But there is a totally different mm. classification that I kind of prefer as an author to think about, which is how characters believe their magic works. Mm, yes. And I think that that's super cool. And I think a good example of that is Terry Pratchett, right? The way that witches versus wizards magic works.
1: Yes, and I think that that's kind of a another kind of scientific versus numinous kind of way of looking at it, because the witches are very much numinous. Like You have the headology, you have how it's more of an art, more of a soft, squishy kind of thing that you do by, by metis, by feel, uh, as we talked about in the witches episode. Jesus Christ, these fireworks! Um <laughs> And then you have the wizards who approach it in a much more fact kind of manner. Well, you see a change in the wizards' culture in that I think a lot of them do have
2: a more numinous or soft approach to it in that, yes, they're a university, they're meant to be teaching things, but a lot of them are kind of blasé and hand-wavy about things, how things actually work. And then you have Ponder Stevens, bless his glasses-wearing heart, Pondus Stevens, who is attempting to drag the Discworld's <laughs> wizarding magic into the world of science and facts. And here is Hex, our calculating magical machine, and everything should make sense. And he really, really wants it to. And you can see the extent to which his desire for it to make sense does pull some sense out of the magic. Because t- the fundamental thing that links together all of the magic in Terry Pratchett's world is this sense of it is what mm-hmm. you believe it is and it is the story right. that you are telling around it.
0: I think for me these are really good examples to illustrate the difference between classifying the magic as it is in your world and kind of as the author decides it is versus how the characters decide it is. Because I think the Terry Pratchett Discworld magic is identical between the wizards and the witches and everyone on that world has one like physical way the magic works and they're using different pieces of it and different beings that exist within that. But from inside of the world they can't see that there's one underlying system.
2: No, it's and the magic users, to an extent, start seeing glimpses of that underlying system when you have some of the books, like I'm thinking of the moving pictures and soul music and the ones that are, and um, unseen academicals as well, which are about a focus of magic becoming anthropomorphized in a sense and starting to mimic things that happen in our world to, you know, hilarious social satire effect. But it's always to do with this crystallization of consistent underlying magic into a new shape.
0: And so for me as a writer, that's a cool thing to remember that you can do something totally different between how you know for a fact the magic factually works and how the people within the system completely misunderstand how it Works And I think we have a pair of things we're going to examine and look at how other authors have done magic systems in this episode. Yes, yes. But I would really
1: like to see authors like reach for that more, Um, because a lot of times I think I compare it to the way that we used to understand science um because the way that we still don't we still don't science. really necessarily understand science exactly um uh, but like back in the medieval times we thought that like alchemy was a thing we thought it was possible for people to turn uh gold lead into gold and so forth and so i would really like to see more authors remembering that you know just because you have the facts doesn't mean you have to like convey those facts in that way um, pe- there can be still so much that people don't know about the world um, and explanations that they give for um, the way that things work that they know of, even though they might be missing a bunch of things.
2: And that's that can happen even if the author knows beautifully everything that yeah. is consistent about the magic. But you can also have magical systems that are not internally consistent. And I was thinking, I think I have mentioned before Sean and Maguire's Wayward Children series of novellas. The one that starts with every heart a doorway.
0: Well, to me, that is internally consistent, though, because it's separate worlds and they are consistent within themselves.
2: Oh, yes, they are consistent within themselves, but the way magic works within one of them may not be consistent. So there is this idea in these books of axes upon which magical worlds lie, and one of the axes is nonsense versus logic. So you can have a high logic land where everything... Uh, obeys very clear Mm. rules and then you can have a high nonsense land where things will occur differently every time emotion and whimsy might rule how the magic manifests and sure that is consistently inconsistent I suppose you would put it you would not then have a sudden appearance of rules and logic but the point of that series is that different individual characters suit different worlds and you can change the story you're telling depending on what kind of magic is going on.
1: Shall we move on to the first tentpole? Yes. Yes. So we have some excellent tentpoles for you this week. Uh, Just two of them, uh, because we sort of wanted to compare, like, the two categories of magic, since it is so often a binary. These are actually both scientific magic. Are they? Do you think so? You're right. No, yeah, you're right. right. It's just that one is much less uh, explained. I I, I
0: think that it's exactly what you were asking earlier about, like, characters not understanding their magic as fully right right but it's super scientific underlying but this first one
1: is very strongly what we think of as like the master of scientific magic yes indeed uh and that is the emperor's soul by brandon sanderson uh who is very much known for his i'm going to use the term hard magic because that's how he the term that he uses to describe his own magic systems (laughs) um so Uh, He is very much known for his hard magic systems. He likes a magic system that works by rules and logic, and he has dozens of them across all of his books. It's super incredible. So in this novella, it is about a forger who is a kind of magic user who can change the nature of things by kind of tweaking their history. Uh, So Mm. if you have a table that uh, 50 years ago was left in a storeroom and kind of neglected, Um, she can rewrite its history so that it was looked after. And instead of being run down and and beaten up and and weathered, it is suddenly in good condition again. Um, So there are limitations to this magic because, of course, Brandon Sanderson loves his limitations as well. And there's this element that plausibility is super important. So you can't change a table into, say, a cat because Mm. there wouldn't be any Place in its history for that to make sense. That was
2: one of my favorite things.
1: So there is this this forger who is captured, and she is forced to help cure the emperor who has been attacked by assassins and has received some kind of head injury and is basically comatose. The magical healers of the palace have been able to heal his physical body, but his mind is gone. Uh, and so his ministers have told her, "You have one hundred days." to for reforge his soul uh to to rewrite his personality and stuff happens i don't want to give too much away Mm -hmm. because it's super great and i think that one of the things that was really cool
0: to me from this um magic system is that it's very much interacting with the school of magic systems around things having true names Mm, yeah and true natures and like objects having souls and interacting with them along that axis and with writing particularly. And so that made me think a little bit of some of Le Guin's stuff, but also just the... I feel like the origin of this type of magic comes back a bit to, like, the Fair Folk and when you can manipulate them by having their full name, which Mm -hmm. I know, Freya, you've
1: played with in fanfic before. Uh, Macy, you have this dot point here. Macy squeaks happily about isomorphisms. What's an isomorphism? I've never heard this word (laughs) before. Where did I put that? Right here. Oh, here.
0: Yes. Um, so isomorphisms are a mathematical term about mapping things to equivalent things. Okay. So an isomorphic transformation maps a thing to another thing that's equivalent to it. And so there's lots of this sort of isomorphic transformation from this table in this timeline to that table in that timeline. Um, and it's very scientific, witchcraft. but with magic.
1: It's yes. very witchcraft. Okay.
2: Yeah. I liked that the system of magic had that potential for creativity. Mm-hmm. So that all of it t- turning around that idea of plausibility being central, which is a strict limitation on what you can do. So the fun is if you want to have this effect, you have to find a way for that to happen. And I loved some of the glimpses we got in the Forger character's narration of her c- confidence that she would mm-hmm. be able to find something in the history of an object or in the history of a substance or something about it that she would be able to manipulate because learning how to forge is not just this is how you do it technically, it's you have to have a creative mind as mm-hmm. well. Right. So even though it's a very scientific system of magic there is a lot of potential for creative mind in how it's applied which Mm -hmm. I think makes for very good storytelling because you can have those rules those limitations and then you can have someone do something unexpected and fun and oh I wouldn't have thought of that
0: I found it also really fun the interactions between the main character and the um, old counsellor who was kind of being her test subject Mm. where it was really clear that he didn't quite understand how her magic worked and thought a lot of it was superstitions and she would say things like you know on this level with that god and that symbol and he would just think that she was being religious at him and she just kind of look at him be like no that's just literally how it works this is science dude
1: yeah yeah and
0: that kind of cultural
1: misunderstanding and it was also Mm -hmm. interesting to look at it from the two meanings of the word forge because forge Mm -hmm. meaning Mm -hmm. to create something in a fire in a forge um and Mm -hmm. also to create a fake right and you can kind of see that Uh, the main character sees her work as the former and Gautona, the minister who she's talking to definitely sees it as the latter. He thinks that she is faking things or that she's making things up. And uh, since so much of her work is also based on having genuine skills for something um, like knowing how to do actual painting techniques, she is a very skilled artist on many, many levels. And so there's so many conversations that he has with her, Where he's like, but you're such a skilled artist, why don't you just do it legitimately instead of faking it all the time? And I had actually so many feelings about fan fiction in regards to this, because how many times have fan fiction writers been asked, well, you're such a talented writer, why don't you use your skills to do something real? And the answer is, because this is real. You know, this is yep. real art. This is something that matters. Yeah. And also and also um, the forgery and the looking back in something's history to find a place to tweak it to change the, the path is also very much reminiscent of the way that fan fiction writers sometimes look at a canon that is broken right. and then go back in its history to to tweak it a little bit to it's change the whole nature of the table. Yeah, it's incredible.
0: It's like how me and Freya have this plan about fixing the magicians by making Margot and Alice get together instead of Alice and Quentin. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I loved everything to do with the creation of this fan fiction emperor. Because... (laughs) Because that's the what idea it is. that you can. It's really yeah, fantastic. Yeah, exactly, forever. and the, the idea that you can piece together somebody's soul, so the thing that makes them them, from both their own writing. So she's working from the private diary of the emperor, but she's also insisting on interviewing a lot of people who've known him, mm-hmm. who interact with him. She's trying to piece together the life and the inner life of someone through only the material marks that he has left on the world, but also the marks that he has left on the people around him. And I could have read a full-length novel of her attempting to create, written down, how do I define a person, and testing these ideas of, okay, so why is his favorite color green? And why did he make this decision? And that, I thought, was an amazing framework to build this story around it was such an interesting thought experiment and it showed off the magic in a really interesting way
0: i really enjoyed that um and i think it's definitely like an example of the scientific method she's forging hypotheses and then testing them Mm -hmm. and i think that that's an interesting contrast to the next tentpole uh which is geometries of belonging by rb lemberg in which the main character is a practicing i would call it psychiatrist Mm -hmm. um in that they are, he, I believe, in Perrette is making changes and adaptations to the brain chemistry of his patients in a magical way, which was super cool. Yep. So Geometries of Belonging is set in uh, RB's world called the Birdverse, which is a world where magic practitioners select these deep names for themselves that they can then use to do magic and interact with the world through and it's a very linguistically-based magic system. These names are basically the tools that you have to use for your whole life, and if you select a short deep name, something with two or three syllables, and only select one, then you can interact with very powerful magic. But if you select longer deep names, or more than one deep name, it's much more unstable and fragile, but also capable of exceedingly delicate work. And so Perrette has Mm. selected one of the like weirdest sets of deep names. They have a three, a four and a five syllable, which means that they are able to heal and interact with people's minds. But they've had such trauma through their past that they're very reluctant to do so without extremely explicit consent. I think that's a real thread Mm -hmm. throughout this story is um, consent and the right to change things about others even if it might save you or save a lot of people. And the the A plot of this story involves um, political intrigue and councillors trying to start a war and Peret's uh, master slash lover being the leader of the war council and trying to avert this while their opposition tries to lock away and kind of throw away the non-binary trans child of the family and they try to use this child today as like a lure for Perrette Mm -hmm. and so we get to see lots of Perrette using his magic
1: to well trying not to use his magic. I think he's mostly he's mostly trying not to use his magic yeah.
0: He's trying not to get involved with pretty much anything it was a super interesting character as well like I find that way of structuring a story around a character who kind of really wants to um abdicate their impact on the world that was super interesting Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i was quite impressed that there was so much impetus in this story for a story about a character who is essentially trying to walk in the opposite direction of the (laughs) plot at all times oh yeah like plot keeps happening and he's like oh i just want to go to bed can someone else deal with this please (laughs)
0: it's a huge mood
2: yeah i think that that building of the names and different individuals interacting differently with the magic mm-hmm. was something that I found really fascinating. I'm looking forward to reading some more in this particular bird verse. Yes. Because it again it gives you a way of individual variation and idiosyncratic manifestation of magic with a very consistent world underneath it. Right. And so you can have variation in how powerful someone is or not just not just how powerful but how they can wield that power. Are they a blunt instrument or are they a tiny delicate pair of forceps? Mm-hmm. And using the idea of syllables and names underneath that just gave it this really rich feeling of something that is very real, but mm-hmm. only partly understood, which I thought was beautiful. I
1: think that this is not a, it definitely has like an underlying logic, but I don't think that this is a very hard, hard, hard kind of hard magic, right? It um it has its its rules, but it's more flexible like you said Freya
0: I think that it is purely hard logic if you sit RB down and ask them about it, yes it's definitely authorially very hard magic and I think that it's a thing that's done really delicately is how obliquely the magic is explained to us so that it makes consistent sense within a story but we really do feel like these characters don't have a full understanding like each of them are experts in their own magic but I mean, during the course of this, the main character, Perrette, um hears from Dede about a book that describes the geometries of the deep names in ways that Perrette has never heard of. And that kind of explain his own configuration of deep names that he just didn't realize and has had to kind of figure out from scratch. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of like layers mm. upon layers. It's like with your magic, Alex, the way that it works underlying, like we might know about, I don't know if you want to talk about it, on air but the characters definitely don't yes. and can't yes mm.
2: whereas on the, on the and you can do almost the other side of the coin if you want to have a kind of magic where the characters in world understand it very well but you don't necessarily need to understand it to the same extent as then and i think it's harder to do but you can do it and i think yunha lee does it's it in *Machineries that. of empire <laughs> because the mathematical magic that underpins the weaponry and the warfare in that world i couldn't explain it I'm not 100% sure that Yoon could explain every detail of it. Oh, I know
0: Yoon couldn't you... because Yoon is a yeah. fractal world builder. Mm.
2: Yes, but the way the characters talk about it and the language they use around the magic is very convincing. Yes. And in this story, the language that is used is its quite deliberately. It's linguistic, it's poetic, as you said. Mm. And so it gives this sense of the numinous, yes. even though the author does understand yeah. everything.
1: Really
0: cool. Super cool. And there is a lot more of Birdverse stories. I know that RB has a section on their website with all of them listed, even though this is a fairly short novella.
2: I enjoyed that both of these stories were to do with changing someone's mind. And from a medical standpoint, I did find that
1: fascinating. Is this, is this our rarest corner? Is this a Dr. Freya's medical corner corner? <gasps> Dr. Freya would like to have a medical corner. Yay. Yay! A very rare corner. We're all
0: sitting here with our hands pressed <laughs> to our face like five-year-olds at desks in kindergarten. Wow.
2: <laughs> I wanted to comment favorably on something that happened <laughs> in Geometries of Belonging, which was this idea of degradation. And it happens in Emperor's Soul to the same, to a little bit to the mm-hmm. same extent as well. The sense that Perrette can Help reverse essentially the effects of aging. So, you see him, the first thing he does in the story is help somebody who is having sort of memory problems, their brain is slowing down, they're not thinking and functioning as well as they used to. Mm -hmm. And he gently sort of tidies up and fixes some things and pulls it back to where it was. But he notes that the tendency of the mind is to continue disintegrating, like entropy is going to continue to work essentially. And so, for someone, to do this, there's this understanding that it's going to reverse itself. Eventually, mm-hmm. it's going to go back in the same direction again. And in Emperor's Soul, there's a similar kind right. of framing around the idea that the Emperor is going to have to be re-stamped with his personality <laughs> every day. Because what you have is walking around a person with a, f- a functioning brain, but their mind has to be reimposed again and again and again. And that's not very scientific because – you would hope, and I think there was a bit of a hint of this, that eventually the neuroplasticity of the brain would allow the pattern to become Mm self-replicating. And they're both very different ways of thinking about how neurological slash psychiatric treatment might work under a magical system, but there was enough thought and logic in both of them that it wasn't me seeing there going, well, that doesn't work because of blah, 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 (laughs) neuroscience.
0: (laughs) And I do have
2: that ability to suspend disbelief if the system is presented to me in an interesting way.
0: I think that you just talking about um the Emperor from Emperor's Soul like this is reminded me all of a sudden of the parallels between that story and Kingdom, the Netflix zombie show. Oh,
1: it's like a K-drama, yeah, it's right?
0: Yeah, it's a Korean zombie show. It's super cool, but like the Emperor got bits by a zombie and they have him chained up to a bed and are trying to fake that he hasn't died. And it's really <laughs> and very shit. funny to me. Uh <laughs>
1: lovely but we should con- is that a very scary movie it's
0: a very scary tv show and it's very very scary okay. and we should keep moving if we want to have time to get through yep. all these things oh yes
2: we should we've got quite a few yes. bits to get because
0: through. i want to talk a little bit about science fiction magic because an ansible or a warp drive or like biotech that heals you completely is magic people mm-hmm. <laughs> yes mm-hmm.
2: Yes, a tricorder is medical magic. Yeah. All of the Vorkosigan shit to do with being able to reverse someone's death by pulling out all of their blood. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay, sure, but it's magic.
0: It's magic. magic. (laughs) And so I think that it would behoove science fiction writers to join in and to come splash around in the paddling pool with all of us fantasy nerds uh, when designing science fictional magic because i think that the principles map across
1: yeah yeah no absolutely. i think so i think so um i mean and we have already quoted uh <laughs> with freya's which one she was this week uh the arthur c clark quote any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable indistinguishable from magic but there's also a corollary any sufficiently explained magic yeah. is indistinguishable from technology yes it would serve the same purpose in a world
0: you mean freya mask published by analog <laughs> if we're talking about our hard science fiction credentials
2: i find that yes. to be hilarious <laughs> because i'm not a hard science fiction writer i barely write any science fiction at all this was a very odd yes, little space. diversion into sci-fi for me Outlier. sad
0: space spies
2: i mean yeah no space spies is magic it's it just happens to it's take space, it's magic place in space, space. and actually yeah. the the what we named the needle, the analog story is about minds and about the degradation of memory hey. and essentially it is a very soft question mark <laughs> science fiction story that just again happens to take place in space with an ai spaceship
0: you know i think that one thing to point out to our darling listeners was that alex and i separately recommended the tent poles for this having not read the other one and the degree to which they intersected is somewhat spooky but really cool it is a bit yeah, Pretty really spooky, yeah makes
2: it fun
1: to yeah. compare
0: but i know what alex likes we've had some little um sufficiently advanced technology for freya alex
1: doesn't like anything alex has never liked anything a day in their life never
0: liked anything in their life (laughs) let's talk a little bit about building magic from religion and myth you mean fucking gods i mean (laughs) fucking gods but i also mean like spinning silver because you claim the power of turning silver to gold if you do it three times Mm. by mortal means you will now have that power do we how far do we have to turn this into a concrete set of rules
1: and how much does trying to turn it into into concrete rules spoil it well i think that sort of adapting myth and religion to a magic system it's kind of more of an aesthetic thing Mm. because like if you're doing something with logic and rules you know that's like a logic and rules thing and then you can like use whatever aesthetic you want for it whether it is Religion or I actually am recently liking to think of it in terms of D&D classes, like whether you have a, a cleric who gets their magic from a god or whether you have a druid who gets their magic from nature, you know. You're a druid, Macy. Yeah, yeah, we knew that. With
2: the idea of a person getting their magic from a god, I'm going to have to talk about David Eddings, which oh. I have not done for a while. But I, I remember, I think it's I think it's one of his series, the Elenium and the Tamalai series, I believe. The way magic is framed in that is that magic is prayer. Mm. And so in order to do a, any spell is actually a prayer to your god of choice that they will actually do the magic for you which I cannot remember a lot about exactly how it works cause I think the gods and in various incarnations were also characters in it. But I like that because there's this combination of that's a logical way for magic to work, but also the extent to which your magic will work is based on the whimsy of another being.
0: Yes, And I love that. So you that. can have
2: a little bit of like being overpowered or underpowered or the gods in a schnit with you and is not listening at the moment, which is how the magic, to the extent there is some, actually works in me and Waylon Turner's Thief Anatolia. Series, There's not a lot of magic in that and it's all very based in are the gods annoyed at you or not.
0: (laughs) And I think that someone who does a really good job of combining that with the more typical you-go-to-mage-school-and-learn-some-mage-spells magic is Tamora Pierce in total, right? Where you have these gods Mm. who can perform high magic and miracles and big things of magic and then you also just have day-to-day magic. But I think for me, the weird whimsy of the gods magic as a writer you have to be super careful not to make it deus ex machina Mm. and it's super cool when people pull it off but sometimes i get annoyed with how conveniently the magic does or doesn't work for plot reasons so you have to really convince me (laughs) the
2: ultimate in that is of course the magician's tv (laughs) show (laughs) <laughs> Not necessarily deus ex machina, but just the magic just keeps completely changing the rules. Yep, if they need it yep. to do something, they're like, oh, look, we've now dug up a book where you can do this. Yep. Oh, there's actually a spell where we can do this. Go and talk to the headmaster. He's like, actually, here's a MacGuffin. And it just makes, it just does anything and everything. But that's like the kind of show where you just sort of go eh, and go along with it.
0: I'm going to suggest at this point we move to our fun facts Freya Plays DM uh, corner, yay. if that's all right with everyone. Yay. Freya because has a game Freya for us. Has prepped, Freya has prepped a treat for me and Alex, or maybe a trick?
2: Ooh. Ooh, Ooh. yes. So <laughs> welcome to Freya's fun magic world building corner.
1: We get two Freya corners this week? We do. We Holy are Holy
2: shit. <laughs> so in order to prepare for this game, I have opened up in my browser oh, a random noun generator. Oh, okay. <laughs> And look, Pluck. I'm going to skip over things that are like ridiculously inapplicable, Cake. but I'm just going to click until I find a good random noun. Uh, and then I'm going to present it to you two. And this is going to be the basis for your magical system. Oh, no. Okay. So someone is saying, "Ooh, here is a word or an item or a concept. Build magic around this yes. in your magical world. This is going so cool.
0: to go wrong in any possible way, shape or form.
2: <laughs> this is going to be fun. Well, I, the first noun that came up when I clicked was night. N-I-G-H-T,
1: Ooh.
2: night. So, start tossing some ideas around.
1: So the first thing that I think of is that magic is confined to only be able to be performed at night.
0: I was thinking more, though, about like the
1: control of celestial bodies. Ooh, that's good, too. Drawing sort of magic from like star and moonlight. Yes, but also being able to control and manipulate
0: starlight, moonlight, and like move the world... Because if you can control when it is night, like maybe this is something that if you're very, very powerful, you can do. Mm -hmm. Can you control time or do you control like photons, like light itself?
1: Mm, Because light itself
0: mm. means really cool temperature stuff and laser
1: beams and illusions and uh, temperature. Yes, totally temperature. Well...
0: Yes, because if we are treating... Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> M- Macy was like, do I want to go off on this long scientific thing that Alex will not understand? No. Yes, Alex. Yeah, temperature. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Magic is both a
2: wave and a particle. Magic
0: is both a wave and a particle. No, but Freya, sometimes... Magic is the infinitely long, multi-dimensional, plucked strings that we dream of in our hearts.
1: Mm, okay,
0: I feel uh-huh. we have
2: veered off from my original noun, but yeah. I'm prepared to accept uh, well, light-based like,
0: photons and... as night.
2: Yes. Okay. So photon, photon-based magic. All right. Where does it come from? The star, the, the
1: moon. See, yeah, the we moon agree. Doesn't we say... generate light. <laughs> okay but hold on hold on hold on listen 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 i have a proposal though so so if magic comes from light right but sunlight is perhaps too strong to use like it has to be reflected off the moon and then like purified or something that could be a thing what what What?
0: war magic comes from the sun and healing magic comes from the moon and reflected so now we're getting
2: mythological yeah Right. Okay, so so the magic is something to do with the photons themselves. So the magic is external, but it can be used by people. Yep, keep going. Sure. Yeah. What is the cost to the individual to wield this magic?
0: I'm just my brain immediately went excessive photosynthesis, which is deeply unhelpful.
2: <laughs> Sunburn. Sunburn is the Sunburn. cost.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like if we're talking about light magic, the metaphor feels like they're going to talk about it as burning out. Okay. Like a light bulb does. Like you can channel too much and then you can't channel again until you heal because you've burned something up.
1: That's pretty good. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that like you can mitigate it somehow maybe.
1: Or it could make you really light sensitive. Vampires. There we go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can't go out in the sunlight. You can't go in the sunlight. Because too much. And if exactly. you absorb any more, you might burn up.
1: Right, and burst into flames. Oh, this is cool,
0: because now we have mages in robes for a reason.
2: So I'm I'm, I'm summarizing here. So they can only go out at night because they're absorbing the photon magic that has been reflected off the moon. Yeah. But if they went out at daytime, it would be direct photons and too much, and they would burn up because they are magically sensitive.
0: I think I always love having like multiple different types of magic user as well. Like, I really Mm -hmm. love this one. But I also really love the idea of like overly dramatic goth hooded people in giant capes wandering around in the daytime. And if they need to get busy with their magic, they just whip off their cape and they're like, naked time! <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Next question, demographics. Who in the population has this magic or can control this magic? Like what? how much of the population can? Who has it? Who controls it?
1: I actually really like limiting my magic systems as like a random 10% or less of the population can use it just because I am lazy and I don't want to completely restructure my economics. Um, do we but I want think... to do this genetically? Do we want to do this by favor of the gods at
0: random? Do we want? Oh, cool idea. Alex, 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 you'll oh, like this. I one. have a I have I a like... cool idea too, but you, tell me yours first. It's the constellation you're born under. That
1: was kind mine too high five (laughs) we we just high fived over video (laughs) chat your two dorks darling
0: listeners your two dorks immediately tried to high five through the video camera this did not work
1: (laughs) it was adorable mine mine was also (laughs) going to be like my variation was that you would have to be born at night
0: Mm -hmm. i think but that won't give you enough of a like lower number yeah no i agree
1: so it's like under a particular constellation cool yeah
0: and then we get into really cool astrology shit as to what maybe this affects what type of light magic you can use, your
1: affinity. This with. also means that so or what you So if it's it. based on a zodiac, that mean might mean that people are either having a lot of sex nine months before this constellation or like no sex, depending on whether or not they want they're to have like have a magic user A lot of fuck parties. Yeah, yeah they're gonna a have lot a lot of fuck, fuck parties to try to get pregnant to have people to have like magic users specifically at this this time, cool.
0: And your serpents have managed to be on brand,
1: right? Like, when do people fuck? Yes. Cool, yeah. great. <laughs> <It's>
0: <laughs> magic important. fuck parties, beautiful.
2: So you guys have talked a lot about where it comes from, mm-hmm. what can be done with it, and what can't be done with it.
0: Well, photons
2: what can it be used for?
0: Photons have some pretty specific use cases, right? Like we're talking lasers, definitely. <laughs> so surgery and medical stuff, maybe. But, like, not super easily. Um, Fire. Fire. Starting fires, definitely. Um, Used as a weapon, sure, with like burnination. Could maybe use it to construct stuff with metal. Macy
1: is uh, you... going on her classic on-brand, like very science science, and I'm also being classically on-brand by thinking like, well. how can you use this as entertainment? Uh, because I'm thinking of like illusions for like performance or yes. or like someone mm. constructing a like completely 360 uh, illusion all around themselves, like a, a star field that you could, holograms, holograms yeah, Yay! that you could, could walk through or... But definitely disguise, like you said earlier, invisibility.
0: Oh, yes, invisibility, yes. Because that's definitely a property of bending light around yourself.
2: Yep. And coming at it from – you were talking about whether or not it could be used in medicine. So coming again from a medical point of view, yes. if it's to do with radiation, yes. you might end up Ooh. with this weird medical system where they can do things <gasps> like x-rays and radiotherapy for cancers, but you can't, like, do anything else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just, like, weird <laughs> shit that's to you do don't with radiation know, You don't know else.
1: about, like – penicillin yeah no. but also things could go very wrong because yes. for the most
2: part radiation is not mm-hmm. good for bodies
0: i mean i guess the question is whether you are a skilled enough mage to do like lasers that can cut things at a distance from yourself and do keyhole surgery without a keyhole Mm. Interesting. Probably a very bad think, idea.
2: Don't think that's how that nice
0: well. <laughs> <laughs> Really not.
2: But I'm you just, could... like, imagining someone trying to, like, remove an appendix by firing a laser at someone. I'm, like, no. I'm glad that we have a doctor on this podcast to tell you that's how you kill no, people, basically. don't do that. Uh, okay, next question. Why haven't people who have this magic taken over the world?
1: Because they can't guarantee their children will have it. Right. Or... There's n- well no we already established that there would be lots of them.
0: Well, I think oh here's another one. Hmm. What if the shift of stars over time mean that you don't know for certain that the constellation that gave you, for example, your battle fire mages, it might just fuck off. Whoops, we have no more of them. I
1: don't- well you're talking about over time it's as astronomy. in terms of like thousands of years rather than in one yeah, person's like lifetime. though. Okay,
0: like you could have volatile ones that involve the planets that would shift very quickly away but yeah i think you, i agree that's like a weird i'm not sure how i feel about that one yeah
2: yeah i mean at the, the point of the question is basically yes you either have to have a small enough percentage or there has to be a reason for them to stay secret or there has to be some kind of fail safe on it that the rest of society can keep them or they have thing. taken I mean, over the world to a certain extent yeah or they have or they have taken over the world or they are the ones in or they yeah. are the ones in power because they, they can they shoot lasers and have fire yeah, I battle think magic.
0: for me, the heritability is the big thing. Maybe I always end up thinking that way. So you might end up instead with a society that values adoption. Um, but then you might end up trying to control children with strong powers. Well,
2: it's more sort of if an individual wants to use right. it for personal advancement or personal gain. I think can they do that? And what stops them if they do?
0: Shooty flame powers... Um, it's basically like you send someone back to 18th century Germany with a really good gun. Can they rule the world? Not really.
1: Yeah, but also we also talked earlier about Macy's thing about them burning out. So Mm. if it is dangerous for them to use too much of their magic, that is a sort of natural limitation. Like they might not know when that will be. um, And so they might be sort of naturally cautious about not pushing their limits too far because you never know when your limit is going to suddenly come upon you and burn you up.
0: I bet you there's some really great or terrible Romeo and Juliet desperation stories in this world. Mm.
2: Yep. Well, I just generated another random <laughs> noun and it was grocery. <laughs> But which is making me think. Okay, so what? So what is what? In if we're world building, what are some nice sort of day to day mundane details that would arise from having this kind of magic in the world around this thing of grocery shopping, like you know that level of life?
0: What would be really cool is this gives you way back into prehistory the ability to see at night and do cool embroidery and fabric work without fire because you have light. Ooh,
1: good point. Well done, um... Alex.
0: What would you do with fabric if you had really accurate light that you could use and maybe even like magnification
1: powers you could certainly well you can only embroider so small right because you the smallest stitch that you can take is across one thread um so you can't really do a lot of microscopic stuff although once you develop like not quite prehistory but a little bit further on once you get into technology where you can weave you can certainly weave smaller um But again, there are limitations on that based on the thickness of thread. You can only have thread that is so delicate um, without – but I think technology to deal with it, yeah.
2: Taking that that back then, what you were saying, Macy, that that you no longer have that prehistoric limitation on labor done at Mm -hmm. night. Would you end up with a society which basically works in shifts? Ooh. Where some people do some people do their work for the society during the day.
0: You know what else is... And you then
2: you have a whole lot of other people who are essentially the vampires, the ones who do their work at night because they can make their own light.
0: That would be super cool, but I've also just realized that what you also get is the ability to ripen more crops further north. If you have someone powerful enough to manipulate light for photosynthesis.
1: Ooh, yes.
0: And I was thinking also, like, maybe if you couldn't get someone to, like, generate a sun's worth of power, they'd burn out really fast. But maybe if you're somewhere that's cloudy a lot, you could amplify the light that's coming Mm -hmm. through to actually be available. And so that might change agriculture. That's a good point. You were saying Freya. Mm -hmm. I was saying, if
2: you then, if you have a society that can work in shifts, do you mm. have an acceleration of technological advancement in general?
1: I think you have an acceleration of industry. Yes. Yeah. Which I think, I think that having an acceleration of industry would probably have a knock-on effect of acceleration of technology. Mm. I think so, but I think it would
0: be interesting which bits of technology became advanced, because if, for example, you look at the Chilean society pre-Columbian and look at the conditions they didn't develop metallurgy because they didn't need it because the iron would rust away too quickly they had tons and tons of cool fabric uh ways of doing things that we use metal for mm-hmm. and so because they were so advanced they didn't need metal spokes and wheels And I wonder what the um, blank spots in the technology developed by these peoples with their light magic would be.
1: Well, they're never going to develop a light bulb. Is that true, though?
0: Because a lot of them don't have the right magic.
1: Well... Yeah,
0: that's true. Well, that's the question is, is the
2: magic not necessarily transferable, but can you create a ah. light external to yourself that then functions without you being there or without you doing ongoing effort?
1: But then here's the question as well. If these people are the ones in power, are they going to allow the light bulb to be developed because then it would give people who are not them the ability to do the thing that they are doing, i.e. working at night?
0: I think they mm. would because you want economic volume, okay? right? You want your populace to be... You're not competing inside your society at that point you're competing with the country next door with exports and That's true. duties and rates yeah. and taxes so
2: so i think we've shown how a magical system can then advance into economic world building <laughs> given that we are all proponents of character based books as well in the last few minutes i want you to show how world building and magic building can inform character and story mm. so my question is what kind so assuming that this is the world that has been built this is the status quo what kind of protagonist would mess up this system in an interesting way Freya, this is such story? a fucking
1: good game i just want this to start the podcast game. and say that this is such a fucking good game freya god
2: we you can play this at home listeners all you need is a random noun generator and, and cool a couple friends. of dorks who like building world <laughs> that's systems. fair
0: that's fair we are dorks okay um okay interesting characters who break this I one of the things I'm thinking of is the beloved child where the whole family has been carefully manipulating birth times to try to achieve this magic for decades Mm -hmm. like that's a cool like do they actually want to be that it's a cool like societal pressure point that you can play with I'm trying not to do too much catalyst stuff with like person born to a magical (laughs) family who doesn't
1: have magic which is what my entire book is about. Well sure (laughs) but that's I mean that's classic for a reason because it's Mm -hmm. cool. Or for some reason, the power works for them in a different way, or uh, possibly a a way that is considered socially unacceptable. I'm also now doing catalyst bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. But what about a light eater? (laughs) Okay, tell me more. A human black hole. Ooh, fuck shit, that's cool.
0: Right? Someone who just absorbs and absorbs, and maybe it's some strange genetic quirk or disease that they have, but they nullify. The magic of others.
1: That's pretty nifty. And you would have a very
2: different story depending on if that person was your protagonist oh, or your yes. villain. Shit,
0: that's oh, pretty yes, neat. You would,
2: right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I think we are coming up on time, so I think this we will so end the episode fun. there. This was Freya, so
1: much you. fun, Freya. Yeah, seriously, thank you for running this really cool game. That was awesome. <laughs> And darling
0: listeners, we would love to hear if you do any of this with your writing groups or friends at home. Tell us about
1: it. Oh, yes. Yes, tell us what Twitter.
2: weird ass nouns you have based your yes. magic system on. Come
1: tell us. I want to hear. We will. I think we will include the link to the random noun generator in the show notes if you have not uh, already found it yourselves. You can just Google random noun generator, that's what I did. Cool, yes. And I'm sure
0: that our darling scribes will write out Freya's questions if you wish to reproduce those. Yes.
1: So, uh, please, yes, 100% tell us on, on social media what sort of magic systems you came up with.
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. Honestly, I love magic systems. My biggest joy when I started writing short fiction a couple of years ago was discovering that I could play with magic in weird and brand new ways whenever I wanted. I can have feather witches or transformative fire berries or healers who drink colour to fuel their power. Pretty much anything, really. And it's so much fun. But, speaking of fun, we have some even more exciting things to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence on July 31st, it's the extravaganza! That's right, we'll be answering your questions and obeying your whims for a full hour. So, if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And by the way, I think you're magic just the way you are.